Welcome, everybody, once again to yet another podcast edition of Two Developers Down Under. As usual, I am joined again by the incredibly energetic and exciting Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? I'm doing very, very well, Mark, and I am really energetic and excited and exciting. That's good. I'll try and add an extra word every time. I introduce you and see how many words I can end up with. It's like that, oh, what is that, that game called where you have to memorize a sentence or a set of colors um, or sitting around a machine and press a button basically like a children's game. Is it called Simon Says or something like that? No. Oh, you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? That's no. That's no, no, no idea at all. I will find that game and provide a link in the post to this podcast. Fair enough. Um, so moving along, doing our usual thing on this podcast, what interesting stuff have you found that has happened today? Um, two things. In 1976, um, Mao Zedong, the f- famous Chinese communist leader, died. And um, today is the Independence Day in Tajikistan. Very interesting. Do you know where Tajikistan is, Mark? I have no idea where Tajikistan is. Would you like to tell me where Tajikistan is? Well, I don't it, even know if I can say is, that another it time. Is, it's <laughs> one of the former Soviet um, republics. I couldn't really pinpoint it out on a map right away, but I'm pretty sure, you know, after a little bit of looking it up on Google or um, Wikipedia, I would be able to identify the country. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the uh, two things I found today for those uh, photography buffs out there, today is the 172nd anniversary of the first glass plate photograph being taken. Uh, And probably a bit more interesting, uh, the 235th anniversary of the United Colonies uh, being renamed to the United States for those three United States listeners we have. Do you think we just have three United States-based listeners? I think we have more than three. Really? I think we have three. I mean, we've probably only got about five listeners, so, you know... Okay, so should we make it a public, you know, contest or competition? Let's say we want every US-based listener to leave a comment in this podcast to prove my point that we have more than three. I think we should do that. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Prove me wrong. Go ahead. Yeah. Prove me right. We'll see who who dislikes us either or of us the most. Um, okay, so moving along, we have again very excited another three speakers from CF Objective ANZ Plus Flex to talk to us a little bit about themselves and their sessions. Um, very very happy to have you all, and thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Uh, moving down in alphabetical order of the wonderful people we have with us, uh, Bjorn. Schulfeis. Oh I'm my sure God! Oh my 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 God! Oh I'm an extremely busy guy at the moment and um, getting an hour out to do this podcast was yeah, a mission. Um, I work at a company called AdSlot and we're in the process of doing a customer deployment next week and we're doing some final last minute testing. Um, and the role that I have here is the head of creative. So it's a non-development role. Um, I oversee the UX of our software product here, but in a past life, I was a um, a Flex programmer and had been working with the Flash platform for the past six years. 
very very interesting cool. yeah can I just ask you one quick question is your first name really bjorn or had someone missed the um the dots <laughs> over the umlaut that is actually really bjorn yeah uh bjorn is my australian name uh, bjorn uh, yeah is my uh scandinavian name but um yeah i get asked that a little bit actually kai um and sometimes i do wish i was uh swedish with uh blonde hair and lovely blue eyes and and had a few girlfriends named Olga and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a few not 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 one just several yeah, yeah, yeah like like a serious like a history of you know whatever um okay so let's have let's just move on to the our next guest um which is um the very well-known Jeff Bowers from Sydney Australia hey Jeff, hello there good very good Cool. Do you want to introduce yourself quickly as well to our listeners? Okay, very, very quickly. Uh, I'm the benevolent dictator of the Far Cry uh, development community in the, the Cold Fusion development space. Uh, what does that mean? Well, basically, I used to be one of the lead developers and one of the sort of founding developers for that community many years ago, but now I'm more product manager, I guess. So I organize things more than develop things, still do a bit of development in that area. And I also run a uh, digital agency in Sydney called Demon. Uh, we specialize in bespoke web applications, typically written in Cold Fusion, but in a variety of other languages, including things like Java and Python. And also the founder of WebDU Conference here in Sydney, just coming up to its 10th year. Yay, cool. Awesome. And I think you missed one very important thing. You are what? a first returning guest for the two developers oh, down wow. on the podcast. That is true, actually, because we had Jeff in a podcast before. Before. First returning guest. The podcast guest. was, what, was uh, Kai and Mark exhaust Jeff or something equally salubrious. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I think. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, last but most definitely not least, uh, Robin Hilliard, how are you doing today as well? I'm really going rather well. Thank you very much, Mark. And uh, for those who don't know you, and, and most I believe probably will, but nevertheless, give us a little background on yourself. My name is Robin Hilliard without an umlaut. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Chief Technology Officer and founder of Rocket Boots here in Sydney. Um, I uh, came from, I first came across, in, uh, since this is largely, uh, I suppose, a Cold Fusion podcast. Is that, that's, that's one of the main topics anyway, isn't it? So, I mean, CF-wise, I first came across it when I was at Anderson Consulting in the 90s. And then, um, again, uh, when I was at the Zevo in the dot-com era, and then actually got picked up as the, um, one of the, actually worked for Allaire, and then Macromedia as a, first as a technical support engineer, then as a sales engineer in Australia and New Zealand. Um, so definitely done a lot of uh, cold fusion uh, programming and training. Um, I also done a fair amount of flex and media server over my time at Macromedia. And um, at Rocket Boots, we do still do a lot of uh, cold fusion, flex and air, but we also do, um, you know, uh, throwable throwable robots and uh, kiosks and uh, iPhone and Android and all sorts of other stuff as well. Very, 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 very cool. Yep. Okay, well then, to to go back through again and uh, open the floor up for discussion, uh, Bjorn, you're, you're first on the list for having a name that starts with B. You're doing the design of flexible and testable code with FlexUnit. Do you want to give us a very brief rundown on what that's going to be about and what people should, should expect from that conversation that you're going to have with uh, your audience members? Yeah, cool. Um, really, 
what I'll be talking about in that presentation is, um, well, just to give you a little bit of a rundown, uh, the software company that I work at at the moment is a um, is an agile shop. Um, we try to put a focus on the quality of our code base and being able to deploy quickly and often. And um, we wouldn't be able to do so without having a, a, an automated continuous integration system and um, a heavy focus on, on unit tests. Um, although I wouldn't say we're 100% a test-driven development um, company, we're definitely... Um, are heading in that direction, I would say. Um, and one, as we've been um, uh, shifting the focus in that direction, uh, one of the challenges we found is how to actually make our codes more, how to actually make our code more testable, and um, what makes code easier to test. So, what I'll be looking at presenting at CF Objective is not necessarily um, anything brand new. It's more or less um, existing patterns specifically for Flex. So talking about object-orientated principles and how they apply to Flex development in order to make your code more testable. It's, it's not so much a, a lesson in the benefits of TDD or Flex unit, but rather steps that you can take to make your code um, to to make it easier to employ things like dependency injection and to um, get better test results out of your code base. That's very interesting. And I think actually that's a very, very important way to look at the whole unit testing, unit testing idea because a lot of people you know, think, well, they use unit testing and they use a framework. Now everything is good, but it's obviously not right away. And a lot of people really don't know where to start when it comes to improving their code to actually make it testable. So from that point of view, I think that is a really, really worthwhile topic to to talk about and you know for people to attend as well, to, to learn how to structure your code base in a better way that it becomes testable in the first place. Yeah, it's it's something that's, that's uh, when I was, it's, it's made my job more enjoyable. And it's something that you get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing that the code you're writing um, is is improving. And I think the one of one of the, as you said, um, you know, people knowing where to start from. And and one of the the strong one of the big suggestions that I could give to anybody is to to create um, ways to measure how you're progressing down um, the test driven path and and to and ways of monitoring that progress as you go along. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, just by setting arbitrary figures of code coverage doesn't necessarily say much about the quality of the tests or the quality of your code necessarily. But, um, yeah, it, it should be an interesting talk, and um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll perform it with enthusiasm. <laughs> now, out of curiosity, what are you using for your continuous integration suite? Uh, we're using, what do they call it these days? Jenkins. Jenkins, ah, very nice. I, I'm a big fan of Jenkins myself. Yeah, so it, it was Hudson before, right? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few code base. Our, our continuous integration setup here is fantastic. Actually, um, we've got uh, 
Flexcode, Java code, .NET code. Um, we've we've got uh, our repositories are in Git at the moment. Um, so mm. we're using DCVS there, and um, it, it, the the integration setup we got here is, is awesome. We've got um, the only the only thing we're missing is uh, we, we're we're looking at investing in a missile defense system that um, is activated every time the build breaks and assassinates. Breaks it. The person who broke the build actually. <laughs> we've, we've we've actually bought we've actually bought one of those, and I've promised them everybody that once the uh, continuous integration, every single project is in CI, that they'll be they'll be given um, a few days to actually complete the targeting system. <laughs> Brilliant! Yeah. I'd love to see that in effect. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Bjorn, one one thing I find interesting actually, um, at the conference we are going to have um, Michael Labrolia there as well. Um, who is, yeah. as you might know, the one of the or the lead developer of FlexUnit. So um, there's a bit of pressure, I think, to deliver an awesome talk because you will get lots of fire from him, probably otherwise. I, I, I know, when I noticed his name on the on the speakers list, I, I was I was really excited about um, being able to meet the guy actually, and um, you know I, I've tried to to be involved in the community um, for a few years and. He's been around from the start, like guys like him and Robin um, have been obviously very active in the community and, you know, when it comes to the mechanics of how Flex works, I don't think you could have a better speaker there. I mean, obviously, there, there might be a couple, but, um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I, I wouldn't say I don't necessarily feel pressure or intimidation, but rather um, I'm really looking forward to, to, to meeting the guy. See, either, either you're a very brave man or, or there's only another option there. But I'm sure you're a very brave man. <laughs> I, think, um, I think people will really like the talk. I did, at the first CF Objective ANZ, I did one, uh, like a, a something similar but for Cold Fusion. And I got lots of good feedback afterwards that, uh, you know, that it was something that people really wanted to hear, hear more about. So um, I think that should go well. Yeah. And I think, I think having Michael there as well would, would be definitely a good backup for the talk too. Provided he ends up really listening great. in. Yep. Um, <laughs> Robin, quick question on um, on unit testing for you. What is what are you nowadays using for cold fusion code? Are you doing a lot of things with Rocket Unit for your unit? Well, actually, well, yeah. So Rocket Unit's a, a, a very simple one CFC unit testing framework that we wrote, and it's up on the Rocket Boots uh, website and also on RIA Forge. And it's actually oh, sorry. really nice from my point of view. Yeah, I've actually got... Uh, who's that person I've got with a quote on the front of that saying how great it was? Oh, that's right, it was you. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it was. No, no, seriously, I, I just wanted to have something... MX unit's lovely, but I just wanted to have something very small because I felt that Cold Fusion... Uh, developers st were still resisting using unit testing and so I just wanted to make something that was drop dead simple to implement and actually we um, actually only just last week we haven't committed it yet but we added an output for um, rocket unit to um, to put stuff out in X unit format because we use Bamboo as our integration uh, our CI server mm -hmm. because right. we're on a Jira, we're on Jira Studio um, and so Bamboo's a nice as one for integration. I, I mean, I think they're all nice, uh, nice systems, but Bamboo just for the integration with Jira. 
And um, so we actually added that. We have to actually commit that into the repository so we can share it with other people. I mean, we, we still have – we have quite a few people, you know, with a lot of success. Phil down in Melbourne, uh, one of our other rocketeers, um, had a fair amount of success doing some big uh, unit test uh, suites in, uh, in rocket units. So I'd say, like, I mean, if you're happy with MX unit, please keep using it and, and go, with, go with it. But if you've sort of been um, scared by some of the other unit testing frameworks um, in the past, maybe have a look at uh, rocket unit and, and give it a go. And um, we'll commit to the XUnit integration just in case you've got a CI server in the next week. Cool. That's actually a really interesting news. We should definitely put that into um, into our blog post as well to make you know make people aware of that that new extension for Rocket Unit. I better get on Yammer and quickly tell them to commit it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should actually throw in there with with respect to MXUnit in the Far Cry community. We've supported that for for several years now as part of our own Far Cry test unit framework. So it's based on MX unit, but it also integrates things like um, Selenium, so you can run your own Selenium tests directly from the system. You can do remote running of a, of a kind of a Far Cry test unit harness, if you like, from remote servers. And also we do link checking as well. We use the link, what was it, the W3C link stuff. can't remember what that's written in. I think it might be written in Perl or something from the command line, but it's a really nice suite of tools if you are working in that framework that um, just leverages off this sort of underlying MX unit uh, approach and then adds all these extra features which are more framework specific. That actually reminds me that um, the framework that um, if you haven't heard of Rocket Unit but you do use CF Wheels, the testing framework in CF Wheels is actually Rocket Unit. Uh, the guys ask for permission to um, use Rocket Unit in CF Wheels, and so that's the testing framework that you'll find in there. Oh, I didn't Interesting. know that. Cool. Yeah. We actually have a CF Wheels workshop. Aha. And uh, before our conference for day one by Mike Henke, so... There you go. You may even be covering some of that. Awesome. Okay. Moving along. So should we Who's next? Don't tell. It's me. Next speaker. Yeah, that's Jeff. It's uh, Mr. Yeah. Bowers. Oh, I've been torn. I guess uh, I, I was... In, in recent times, we've been doing a lot of very big projects with uh, Far Cry and also uh, reverse proxies as one of the sort of facets of... Uh, making these solutions available, giving them high availability. So I've been looking at doing a reverse proxy talk, looking at doing a kind of definitive guide to Far Cry. I think uh, the Far Cry session will probably win out at this stage. Uh, and what do I mean by that? I mean, I think in previous years I've done things which are a little bit more specific, you know, how a certain aspect of the framework works or a little bit more detail. This year, we've been doing so many new things in the framework. There's just there's been a massive release with 6.1, and uh, the 6.2 release should be finished by November. So there'll be so much to show. I really just want to say, you know, spend an hour and wow people with how awesome the place is. So maybe maybe talk a bit about the awesome the things that are itself. coming. Yeah. Oh, the things that are coming with sneak peeks and stuff. Jeez, I don't know. Don't, don't give away too much, but yeah, oh. give, us, give us a taste. Well, it's, it's all there in the code base. I think um, our problem of late, I mean, typically when you run an open source community, often you're sitting there looking for things to announce or, you know, speculating on what you might do. 
And I think in the last three to six months, we've been building so many new things, we can't actually announce them quickly enough. Um, some of the really nice stuff that's been coming through, we do a huge amount with image manipulation now. So, uh, one of the releases, the recent releases, the 6.0 release was... Um, uh, had a requirement for Cold Fusion 8. And because of that, we now leverage all of the CF image stuff that sits inside Cold Fusion 8. You can upload an image into the framework. You can crop it, cut it, set all of its quality properties and, and so on, all from just directly within the, uh, within the environment. So if you're building a CMS, for example, or you're building any sort of content-heavy application that, that uses images, that's a fantastic aspect of it. Uh, massive UI changes going through. We've spent a lot of time and effort trying to make it beautiful. You know, you spend all this time uh, doing all these engineering efforts, but then uh, there's never really any sort of eye candy for, for individual contributors. So we've tried to turn that around and spend a lot of time uh, building some really nice eye candy and making stuff just work, be usable, have a you know a, an experience which you love rather than something that uh, is just something you have to do day to day. Uh, what else are we doing? Reverse proxy stuff. There's um, a whole heap of stuff we've added to the caching model uh, inside the framework that allows us to uh, specify how a reverse proxy should respond. So there's always been a sophisticated caching layer inside Far Cry, and now you can add a couple of additional decorators on your view and instruct uh, an upstream reverse proxy how to behave. Plus a whole heap of strategies for doing personalization with reverse proxies and logins and, and these sorts of things, which are actually quite problematic. If you imagine you're constantly you know, creating a static file and then serving it up from the reverse proxy, uh, doing things like logins and, and securing content and personalized content is actually quite tricky. And so we've got lots of little solutions uh, for that type of a problem. Uh, something Mark will know about, I'm sure, uh, something that came late to us. We've had um, uh, an ORM and a kind of a, an object broker, we call it, inside yeah. uh, Far Cry for since the very beginning. So, you know, since the 6.0 release of Cold Fusion, I don't know how many years ago that was now. There's always been this um, sense of an ORM, it's called 4Q. Uh, which really is about the four different queries you do in a CRUD um, sort of exercise. But the object broker had all of its own local caching and we cache not only the, the, the database record but also all the views, the different fragments of those, those views. We, we deal a lot in compound views, if you like, building a page up with many views. The other things we do is we separately cache any behaviors that might be attached to a view. So if you need to load JavaScript into memory or attach a bit of CSS or something like that to the view, all of that's managed as well by the broker. Anyway, cut a long story short, the problem we face is a lot of stuff going into old gen and never getting out of old gen. I don't know if you've experienced that probably with transfer, I imagine. Not specifically, but yeah, go on. We get a lot of stuff in memory and then oh, I know because you you've got that application scope that's totally static, it never seems to go. So we've we've re-architected uh, the object broker to use soft references now, and so we get a nice you know garbage collection that that pulls up all of those things if you start to hit the the memory threshold. Soft references, go on, give us a twenty-five word description of what that means. Oh, so soft references. Uh, okay. Um, yes, yes, I know. I know soft references reasonably well. Um, soft references is a is a Java type of object actually that you can set up that basically says. Um, See this object over there that I'm pointing to. Um, if you need to reclaim that memory, feel free to garbage collect that object over there. Um, so it, it can be a nice way of managing memory uh, when um, 
if you're if you're doing a lot of caching and you're storing a lot of stuff in memory and you want the JVM to be able to clean up behind you, um, how are you going with load testing? That are you are you finding that's giving you the results you want? Yeah, it's actually been remarkably good because normally for us it's fine as long as you're within the yeah. you're within the threshold of the JVM. But as soon as you start punching above that or getting close to the edge, the server starts crashing. The server starts going berserk. Yeah, so we have some very large installations, and you can always in Far Cry, for example, you can always. Um, tweak your caching model so that you reduce the amount of caching that's happening. Yeah. And, uh, y- y- you know, I mean, you want something that's, that's, that's just not going to break. We have sy- systems where you have a lot of different apps running simultaneously and uh, it's normally when you get hit by what we call sort of a bot storm or some kind of massive indexing that goes on for your site, you get so much stuff thrown into the cache in, an, in, an, in a kind of unusual way that um, even with a, a fairly a fairly intelligent caching model, you still get too much in memory. And you just want the system to be able to just reap that stuff out, get rid of it, and uh, basically evict that stuff without having the system crash. And yep. the soft references work really well for that. An infamous example of um, of soft reference improvements was the move from AS2 to AS3. Um, and uh, with um, the event model in AS2, we, we didn't have soft references in, in the old action script, so every time you had a whole lot of things watching for an event, what would happen is the thing that was being watched had a big array of the listeners, and if you forgot to remove the event listener, then that would be a hard reference to that thing, and that thing would never get cleared up out of memory. And then when they went to AS3, all the new event frameworks had soft references for listeners, and so that was a great improvement in memory management in Flash. Event listening yeah. was just a mission in itself in any version before AS3. Yeah. Regardless. Interesting. So, cool. and in terms of moving on from the soft references, we have a very simple, and uh, just sort of, you know, a segue into um, caching models in general. We've got, uh, you know, that classic kind of FIFO first in, first out eviction model for yep. clearing up the cache, which is, which is not great, especially when you're in a kind of a website which is being hit by, let's say it's Google indexing the site and it's got, you've got tens of thousands of pages in the site. You get a lot of stuff loaded into memory that you really probably don't want because you know, it's only Google that's finding it. It's not really human beings that are finding it. So we've also got some sort of a Skunk Works project in place now for looking at a, a more kind of adaptive caching algorithm for working out exactly what we should be caching based on the frequency of use and uh, how recently it's been accessed rather than just a, a kind of a first-in, first-out eviction model. Have you, so, looked, yeah. have you built that from scratch or um, are you using EHKH or something like that? We've had all of that in place since about, well, we've had the makings of that in place since uh, 2003 was when the first release came out. Then in about the 2004, midway 2004, 2005 timeframe, we implemented Object Broker, which started to do a lot of this sort of caching. Uh, and as the years went by, that model became more and more sophisticated. Um, I- interesting enough, one of the most recent releases we've had, the 6.1 release, updated the whole DB Gateway model that we had for communicating with the database layer. So that now, I mean, it seems like a duplicated effort, but now like things like Hibernate, we can uh, actually, you, know, you, you build a business object and automatically 
scripts and puts a schema into the database that can have uh, you know precision and indexes and all all the things you'd normally expect to be able to do to script a database you can do directly within a CF component and when the Far Cry framework effectively initializes that content type it deploys the related schema that it needs to be able to um, manage that model so all of that's in place and working within the framework it all works on cold fusion 8 rilo and uh, used to work on openbd though i haven't tested that um, recently so I- interesting that it takes us away from something like uh, the cold fusion 9 orm and also things like the cold fusion 9 a cache model but there are definitely things that we are looking at in terms of um, you know things we might leverage when we we do another major version release. So we only do a major version release when uh, there's a backward compatibility issue. So, for example, if we went forced everyone to use ColdFusion 9, for example, that would be considered a major backward compatibility you could, issue. You could do some stuff, though, with, like, EH cache running, just, like, run, just load up the library yourself. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, stuff or even the, the big thing for us is the amount of engineering effort versus what we think would be, you know, the potential gain. And although there's some gains to be made, there's uh, there's a whole heap of things we've got lined up for development and feature deployment and the like, which we, we just think we can get much more traction out of for the, the amount of effort required. Fair enough. And it wouldn't get Blue Dragon either, would you? Yeah, I d- don't know. We don't really do any sort of testing on OpenBD. You mean Blue Dragon or OpenBD specifically? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just saying that because EH cache is a Java mechanism associated with the, the JVM. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. We have nothing to do with the .NET version of um, Blue Dragon. And right. in terms of OpenBD, I'd love to have Far Cry running on OpenBD. It certainly used to. I just don't know. We don't have it as a test suite internally. We only really look at Adobe Cold Fusion and Rilo as, um, as the platforms that we uh, concentrate on being able to deploy to. Sure. Makes sense. Anyway, come along to the talk. You'll get to see all of this crazy, lunatical, magical stuff. That sounds good. That's, that's I will good. if it's not that, that, that at the same time as mine. To come, to the talk. <laughs> <laughs> come watch Jeff. He's a lunatic. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so I'm really happy, and we've been we've been building as just completely separate to the community. We've been building some fantastic kind of uh, applications of late. We just launched the uh, Australian Olympic Committee Olympics website for London 2012, and that's got a whole heap of great features, a lot of multimedia and video, and all kinds of cool stuff. Plus, as um, we're still yet to roll out all the scheduling and results and stuff that will happen closer to the actual Olympics. That's been a massive release and all the goodness that we built for that. You know, every time we do a bit of a, a customization or something that's pretty cool, we always try and fold it back into the community framework. So we've had a lot of big projects recently and a lot of really cool results going into the into the framework. I just really haven't had enough time to write it up, blog it, Tell, even tell the, the local kind of community on the forums exactly what we're doing. So we always have these people popping up and going, hey, what's, what's this going in? What, what was this in this commit? It looks awesome. And we're like, yeah, oh, we'll tell you about it soon. <laughs> so um, It was awesome, but you're not allowed to use it. <laughs> That's it. You're not allowed to know about it. You're not allowed to have it documented, nothing. So, uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff coming through. Well, well, well thank, thank you. you. Thank you for your continued development of Far Cry. We've done, two, we've done multiple sides this year in Far Cry. In fact, we, I think we just put one out yesterday. Oh, it's music to my ears, Robin. Yeah, it was, it was, it was lovely. It's very popular with our developers. <laughs> Are you just saying that? You tell me the truth afterwards, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay. Yeah. Okay. You must be up, mate. Hmm? Sorry? Robin. Robins. Robins go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Robins. Me next. So, Robin, yes. your session title is Writing Domain Specific Languages Using Custom Tags. What the hell is a domain specific language? What the hell is a custom tag? That would be my yeah, I know. Well, that's the. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I sent. You, I, I, I had an email before I before I wrote. I had a few different ideas for a talk. I was. Um, I did a big um, framework. I did this uh, Galaxy framework talk last year, um, and uh, and um, I'm not sure if I'm not sure how um, how uh, how uh, it. Uh, I didn't see many people using Galaxy afterwards, so I thought people probably thought it was interesting, but maybe it wasn't uh, wasn't the best talk I, I, I you know I could have could have done. So I had actually had a very cool new framework that I did, which lets you do um, it's sort of like a directory for plugins, very similar to the way the Eclipse. Um, uh, framework works for plugins that was done in cold fusion and i've got it's all done but um i thought i wouldn't do another uh, framework talk since i'd just done one so instead i went i went looking around some of the projects we'd done recently and um some of the more interesting aspects and i came up with some stuff that we'd done for a very large telecom provider in australia um who shall remain nameless uh but uh, but one aspect of what we were, what we've been doing there, and, and I suppose it's been a theme, an ongoing theme, is um, we, we often build. We, we don't always use. Um, I suppose we, one one aspect is we, we've got a lot of sites that don't use databases. We have a lot of sites where we just build models in memory and run things off that. Uh, we also have done a fair bit of uh, code generation work um, in the last few years as well and uh, one of the things that uh, in both of those cases either building models directly into memory or um, or um, doing code generation one of the things that comes up is the way that you describe either the code that you want to generate or the model that you want to build in memory and um, and so I suppose uh, what a domain specific language is is if, if you start off with very generic programming languages like uh, languages like Assembler or C or most of the languages we work with in you can you can uh, you can build pretty much anything but there's quite a lot of work to get up to the sort of level of abstraction or the problem that you're working in um, uh, the and that's one of the selling points, actually, that Cold Fusion's always had is that rather than having a completely general-purpose language like Java or C, why don't we have a language that starts specialising in a narrower domain, like Cold Fusion does, specialising in internet applications? And one of the reasons that Cold Fusion is so useful for all of us is because it really does try to concentrate into a slightly narrower domain. Um, and you can, and if you continue that trend, you could start imagining a language that was designed for uh, uh, for specifying schemas. Okay, maybe something similar to. Well, actually, I was going to say. Actually, a better example is I was going to talk about you know four Q and transfer and some of these things, but these are all actually done in written in Cold Fusion when you set these things up. And in, in fact, in fact, we could go back to look at um, the old Spectra, the old um, content management system written before Cold Fusion. Well, it was written around Cold Fusion four point five before we had CFCs and object orientation. And if you go back and look at the way Spectra described content types it was all done with custom tags and rather than having generic things like functions and properties um, we had similar well okay we did have properties that's not exactly the best rather than having a generic tag to represent a function or a, or a property you would have a tag representing a content object and inside that tag you would 
have um, a handler, a display handler or an edit handler, and you'd have tags representing that. And then you'd have a property, uh, like here is a, t- here is a string, here is a number, here is a date. Um, and it was, a, it was actually a language built out of custom tags to represent content objects. And I think this is probably, I, I suppose I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a tub beater for not throwing the baby out with the bathwater for the cold fusion development community. And I think a lot of people think of, yeah, there's a tub. Uh, was that someone thumping something? <laughs> someone um, fell over. Oh, someone <laughs> fell over. I know. It, I have that effect. Um, I, um, uh, I, I think a lot of people think of custom tags as being a funny angle bracket way of calling functions um, that's sort of archaic. And the truth is that they're actually much more powerful than that. Um, they, you can build loops, you can build if constructs, you can build all sorts of amazing things with custom tags. You can essentially build a programming language uh, using custom tags. If you don't like the way CF loop works, if you actually look at the way the custom tag API works, you can use CF exit to make the body of a custom tag loop again. You can do all sorts of amazing you know, and powerful things. And Spectra was you know, one uh, version of that. I actually did a similar thing a long time ago with uh, another, op- uh, another content management system called Spec. Uh, which is very popular for a while in Ireland and Spain. And I don't know why it didn't take off, but yeah, probably because Far Cry was too good, um, I'd say. <laughs> and um, so so custom tags, so talking about cold fusion and the powerful things that cold fusion does, a lot of people I really feel don't get how powerful custom tags are. Um, so if you need to do something like... Um, uh, how long am I going? Five minutes now. I'm I'm just warming up. Um, keep going. It's okay. Keep yeah, going. We all okay. love custom tags. We, love we all love custom. I'm preaching to the converted. I know. I know. But um, so so what this talk's going to be about is it's going to be give give people some examples about using being more int- using custom tags in more interesting ways. A lot of people, I suppose, you know, maybe maybe they put the header and the footer of their page in the um, sometimes you know it's custom tag 101. People will write one tag called header and one tag called footer, and they'll put them at either end of the page. And then the expert users will realize that they can actually run one piece of code in the opening tag and one piece of code in the closing tag, and they'll have a, a single tag called page, which wraps the entire page and does all the layout for you. And then the more powerful uh, you know, custom tag users will know about all the other um, functions and things like CFS soccer tribs and, uh, and uh, the, the this tag scope and all of the interesting things you can do with the generated content of a tag in the closing tag or ways to make um, Spectra-like um, collaborating families of tags in which you can actually write entire programming languages with, you know, with, with loops and if statements and all of these sorts of things. Um, so what I'm going to talk about is you could write a domain-specific language in XML so you could go and get – you could have an XML document and it, the XML could describe a product or some other thing that you wanted to configure. And then you'd parse the XML and all of your code would be you – know, you'd, you'd get an XML object back and then you'd walk through the XML building a model or doing something like that. And I've actually done that with a, another open source tag we developed for ColdFusion called CF Model, which um, – sort of builds, it gives you an MXML equivalent um, in Cold Fusion. If you want to go and instantiate a whole lot of CFCs, you can do it in an MXML-like way with bindings and properties and all of those sorts of things. Um, but the thing about that is that that's actually one of the nastiest pieces of code I've ever had to write um, to make CF model work. And what I found comparing that with actually writing libraries of custom tags is that when you need to 
say you've got a tag that describes a um, a product or something. The nice thing about writing it, writing the parser as a custom tag, is that you can put all the validation and stuff for that tag there in the tag source code itself, and I can get brand new cold fusion developers who've only been working for a day or so and I can actually go and get them to build you know libraries of custom tags that represent complicated products for telecom uh, companies um, and and actually build these tags to actually go and build models that go into me- memory and then when we make requests uh, from uh, air clients or whatever we happen to be using uh, we can just send and the fragment of the model that's relevant to the request. And so just to try and wrap up what's um, been a little bit of a, a wander there, um, make, use, use an element of cold fusion that which people often overlook, custom tags, to build languages which are very close to the problem domain that you're trying to describe, like how to configure a product or how to build, how to generate code. Okay, And there's... Um, there's a good uh, book actually written by some Microsoft guys called Software Factories, and which is where I originally got quite interested in DSLs, domain-specific specific languages. And they just point out that the closer the language that you're using is to the problem domain that you're working with, the easier it is to do your work. I mean, for instance, mm. in accounting, very easy to do. Use Excel is almost like a programming language, really. You could think of it as a declarative programming language. Um, and uh, that's an easy place to do accounting work. So that's what my talk's going to be about. But it should be very accessible. Like I say, we can get you know very new cold fusion developers and, um, and point them at this sort of stuff and actually get them productive in it very quickly. So are you also going to cover um, the technicalities of custom tags? I mean, all that stuff you mentioned you know, while, you were, while you were explaining your session, like um, nested custom tags, the generated content, um, the associated attributes and all that stuff. Is that going to get its own focus that people who maybe want to learn about the advanced use of custom tags actually get something out of the session as well? and who are not Definitely. necessarily interested in the domain-specific language part that much, potentially? Definitely. If you want to go from someone who views custom tags as a function call to what function... Uh, uh, what uh, what function tags custom tags custom can actually tags. do, and that's definitely going to that's going definitely going to get covered because I'll have to that'll have to be half the presentation. I basically say, here's the stuff that you may not know about, and once you have this stuff, here's a problem, uh, or here's an area which you can use them very effectively writing DSLs, and then I'll actually show just some examples of how to how to do that with some fragments of um, examples from some production sites that we um, that we have which actually transact um, you know huge. Um, huge um, amounts of revenue and stuff for some real um, enterprise-type clients. You should call it the uh, the black art of uh, custom tag development. Yeah, but you see, you know, you know me, Jeff. Like, I mean, I, actually, I remember I went to your custom tag talk a few years ago, and so I had that in mind. You had a, one at WebDU when we were at um, yeah years ago. Uh, yeah, and um, and and it was sort of it was in that talk, and I was and I sort of was inspired by that partly to think, you know, we really should make sure people don't forget, you know, what what this really fantastically unique feature of cold fusion is about and how powerful it is. And I really think it's something out there that people, cold fusion devs, don't know about. There's this huge push for CF script to be the be-all and end-all. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, you know, it has its place, but people who tell me, geez, I wish I could script everything, I don't know. There's some, you know, custom tags are a beautiful, a beautiful metaphor for, for encapsulating some, some business logic. I think, I, I think it's actually a sort of, 
I mean, I'll, just to be um, controversial, right. there's a sort of a cultural cringe, I think, in a way that's often been happening in the cold fusion community towards, you know, this is how the Java people do it. Um, and therefore, you know, we should be able to do things that look like that or do things in the same way. But, you know, and, and, we'll, and we'll go and, I mean... I remember, I mean, I, I was um, publicly on the record as not being a big fan of some of the earlier XML-driven cold fusion frameworks because my frustration was all the time, you know, the reason that people like Rod Johnson, who created Spring and who went to Sydney University, by the way, um, the, um, the reason they had big XML configuration files for the frameworks is because Java is not a tag-based markup language and they wanted it. And a lot of what Spring was about initially was actually to create something that Cold Fusion developers would recognize as the application scope, which Cold Fusion, which uh, Java developers didn't have. And so, all the I, I was I used to find it frustrating. I thought here's all the Java developers, you know, are, are trying to go to get what the Cold Fusion developers already have, and the Cold Fusion developers are desperately trying to go and build things in a more Java-ish sort of way. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm, okay, there's. There's a whole argument you could have there, but I mean, it's that I did find I've always found that frustrating, and, that, and particularly I find custom tags sort of at the middle of that. Here's a really great feature um, of the language that you're already in that you can use to achieve the same outcomes that some people in other languages have to, at a lower level of abstraction, have to do a lot more work to get. You, you know, I was at a talk recently that Adobe gave on uh, you know their new acquisition for CQ5. I don't know if you've had anything to do with that at all by the day consulting group that they've purchased. And this is effectively uh, what they call a... What do they call it? Something ridiculous. It's part of the customer experience management yeah. suite. And it's uh, effectively, it's, a, um, it's a, a publishing platform that you can tailor and program. So it's, it's, it's like a kind of um, a framework for building CMSs, if you like. Yeah, it's, it's, and the I whole think they thing call is it an enterprise web. Um, yeah, it's CMS. enterprise only because yeah. of the license associated with it. I suspect. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> did, I, did I just say that? Anyway, <laughs> it's yeah. just, you really think, Jeff? You know, <laughs> anyway, no. uh, just going back a little bit. The um, the thing that made me laugh was that the whole thing is Java driven and has a lot of interesting Java engineering going on. But ultimately, as a developer who's who's customizing or configuring that environment, you're writing a whole series of JSP tags. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, it's like it's like going back ten years. This is you've you've got a language 15 that's years. fifteen years exactly. You've got a language that's as rich an environment as Cold Fusion is, providing a tag based kind of model for building solutions. And in in particular, I think solutions that involve uh, a view that's um, an HTTP kind of constantly have to maintain the state and also HTML, CSS as an output. It's just ideally suited for that style of environment. And yet now we have to go back to some sort of almost monolithic Java yeah, environment which ultimately expresses itself as JSP tags, which ultimately have none of the kind of um, richness that's embodied inside the Cold Fusion tag library. That needs a bit of Cold Fusion pride. Do they realize that the JSP spec was actually contributed to by Alaire? It's it, if, yeah, I know. If you actually go back to the JSP spec, there are Alaire engineers on it. And if you look at the, um, the enumerated values for the CF exit tag, which I mentioned earlier, um, the CF exit tag, the exit tag in JSP spec is got the same values as the Cold Fusion one because they based it on the Cold Fusion tag. Yeah, and I mean, keep in mind that JRun was the first commercial surflet engine around, basically. Back well, live, live, live softwares. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, live softwares. Yeah, JRun. Exactly. 
it's it's sort of I, I just think it's funny I, I think people have got we need some cold fusion pride you know it was actually you know there it was it was there on really early on before it, and you know we took a lot of uh, beating for being a tag based language when now it's all the rage yeah word yeah it's all, exactly <laughs> <laughs> no it's true everything robin says is uh, it's it's spot on i think i have to agree 100% it's uh, it's fascinating, mind you. There's plenty of hope. I mean, something like Ruby was uh, you know kicking around for a couple of decades in total doldrums and the most ridiculous kind of compiler on earth and everything else until Ruby came. Ruby on Rails came along, so it was the Rails framework that made Ruby as an environment. And that was what 15 years after its initial release as a language. So you know, there's hope. 15 years after the birth of Cold Fusion, there might be a resurgence in interest. And I think people should actually that that you've raised another pet topic with me. Um, Rocket Boots has been growing a lot, and we've got up to about fifteen people now. Now most of that team were not Cold Fusion programmers a few years ago. That's interesting. Okay, uh, and I, there's this thing. There's this you know uh, on the old. Um, can I just the CFID thread? If you um, the is dead oh, yes. thread, yes, uh, the, from, zombie. The, the zombie, zombie the, the zombie thread that keeps coming back. back. <laughs> um, it can it's, never die. It's, you know, everyone's always complaining about not finding cold fusion developers, and I'd be the first. You know, here's a headline for the uh, for the, for the for the podcast is stop hiring cold fusion developers, please hire developers and teach them cold fusion. Our, our most recent intern that we uh, that we took on. Uh, She's, uh, you know, she's a great programmer, and she was. We we just threw her at Cold Fusion. And said, I know you haven't seen Cold Fusion before. Um, here's Cold Fusion. Here's a few tickets. Here's um, CF Quick Docs, and she closed three tickets in the first day. That's really good. You know, it's 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 a great. Don't forget, the strength is it's a really great language to learn. Okay, if you're a programmer, a decent programmer in any language, put them in. You know, hire a good developer. Put them in front of Cold Fusion, and a few days later, you've got a Cold Fusion developer. Yeah, or you, just add water. It doesn't even have to be like an experienced, good developer necessarily. My, I find, or my clients have the same trouble, right? It's really hard to find experienced, well-established Cold Fusion people. So you know, like they. Start uh, hang to, on, it's hard to find experienced, well-established any people. Well, I think okay, that, that, that's a, yeah, that's maybe another another concern. But you know, like they started basically to say, well, let's hire. A graduate and you know teach them cold fusion and basically you know get them up and running basically and that has has proven as a really uh good concept to um at least get people started and get people on the platform and grow their knowledge and grow their experience that still you know doesn't replace hiring the odd senior developer or team lead or something like that. You still need to find those people. But then what Robin and, and you, Jeff, basically were saying really fits the bill, you know, get a, an actual good developer and teach the person called Fusion. Well, to, to, to bring back in one of our members of our conversation here who's been a little bit quiet, Bjorn, as, as someone who's sitting more in that managerial role and obviously not necessarily doing cold fusion work, how hard are you finding it to find talented, good professional people out there at the moment? Well, I think um, there are a lot of good developers out there and um, you know, a lot of guys just need to be given a chance and, and good direction. Um, I think that, uh, you know... It pains me to say it, but um, I've been working in a .NET shop for the last 12 months. and um, We can still be friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there, there are definitely no shortage of um, 
qualified and good good .NET developers out there. And and I and I couldn't say the same for um, when I was when we were specialising in Flex developers. Um, but I do agree with everything that I've heard about um, CF and Just Add Water and um, it being an easy to learn language. And um, I do like Ruby and I do like um, what the JavaScript community is doing at the moment as well. So, um, yeah, my whole, um, I, I'm super keen on seeing Robin's talk and my whole view is um, the right developer will find the right tools to use for a job and domain-specific languages are definitely the way to go, especially if you're working on projects that are going to last a while. Um, yeah, so... That would be my two cents in what I've just been listening to, but it's been an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Bjorn, about um, you are setting up, you are creating a language, um, and so it, it is, you are creating something to be reused. It's sort of like creating a DSL is like the ultimate reuse. I suppose it's on that continuum of API framework DSL. It's sort of, I suppose DSL is actually, here you go, write something in a whole new language, or you know, or a language that you built on top of something else, yeah. and um, yeah, and uh, it can, and and then it can, uh, it, it, it's it's just another step on that on that direction. I mean, and I suppose that's the other thing about the languages and stuff is I often feel like um, people don't. I, I think that doing compiler design and language design that's something you usually do around. Third year, if you're doing a if you're doing a computer science degree, and um, I think people sort of think that it's maybe it's just going that it's it's like going a step too far to actually make a language. But there are actually tools out there. You don't just have to do it with um, don't just do it with um, custom tags. I mean, there are things tools like Antler mm. and Lex and Yak and things like that where you can actually go awesome. and build. Yeah, and there's actually isn't there? What's the thing that's called called that? There's something inside Eclipse. Or um, IntelliJ for building DSLs. Oh, I know what you're talking about, and I completely can't remember what it's called. Yeah, neither can I. But there is something cool, and I'm sure you'll put it in your show notes. No. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, there, there is there is another thing there. Um, it's you know, writing your own language is it's it's interest. It's a great challenge. It's actually a whole extra thing if you. Th- thinking, what's the next interesting thing I could do as a programmer? And if you don't know about compilers or parsers and this sort of stuff, I would really just put it up there with regular expressions or whatever as one of those things that you should really learn. I'm thinking, actually, Pragmatic Programmer, the book, which is a great book, um, mentions, you know, writing your own languages and things like this as being, as, you know, being a really core, a core thing. I think, I think in the Cold Fusion community, I, think, I, I often wondered about the way everyone sort of ate XML-style closing slashes and things on tags. And I think it was because everyone got so excited about XML because it was the first time they got a glimmer of, wow, I could write a language, you know, in XML, um, not realizing that there are many other parsers, including the ColdFusion parser itself, and that, that, you know, you can actually make XML is not the only way that you can go and build a language. Did I actually, I just went on, I just managed to segue into one of my favorite pet hates about cold fusion development. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I often, often thought that it was because people knew about how to parse XML that people attached a lot of importance to making their CFML XML even when there's no way we're ever going to make, I mean, that, I say this as a person who uses MXML, which is actually an XML-based language, but I just don't see any point in trying to pretend that CFML is an XML-based language. 
language because things like CFset and all of that would look absolutely horrific if we had to make it valid XML. It's it's quite interesting. I totally agree with you when you when you were saying um, that more people should know about how to write a parser or how to how to write a compiler. And I actually, just a few weeks ago, I was discussing exactly that topic on Twitter with a few people. Basically, I was so frustrated in a certain scenario that you know so many people have no idea actually of what a parser or a compiler even is. I was thinking, like, wouldn't that be an interesting, you know, like a full day workshop or training that you could run before a conference? Like, how to write a parser or a compiler in Java or in whatever, or, you know, even just talk about generic concepts, the steps you need to go through from defining a language until you get actually to implementing something that can work with that language. So I think that there might, uh, there yeah. might be an even a market for, for, you know, workshops and training for that. I thought I actually thought of doing a talk on using Antler with Cold Fusion, so you could go and make up some Antler grammar, um, and then quickly call it from Cold Fusion. But I thought that's not going to fit in an hour. Um, I also wrote. Uh, I wrote. A, yeah, no. <laughs> I wrote yeah, a I can't send that. <laughs> no, and I, I wrote a parser. I actually have written a parser and a basic um, lexer and parser um, for SQL in ActionScript. Um, I had a project at one point uh, when, actually, it was when when I finally decided Rocket Boots was going to develop a. Um, a this is a, quite a while ago, maybe three or four years. Um, I decided that um, this is when Air was coming out, but before they announced the SQL Lite support, I thought that what I could do is build a. Um, I was going to build a SQL parser um, in ActionScript called, and it was. Um, and and the idea was I was going to try and do a migration of query of queries from Cold Fusion always into ActionScript. Thinking, Robin. Well, sorry. You're always forward thinking. I uh, know. Well, I was, well, it was just it was it was a. Uh, I mean, I still I remember the domain name. I remember yeah, you talking about that. I know. I know. It was. It was. I've still got a lot of that code, and I got the parser and the lexer that I wrote. But so I could probably make maybe I could open source that or something as a as an ActionScript project. But um, it was um. It was sort of I, I, I locked myself up for a, for a few weeks to um, to start writing it, and then I I was actually on the alpha program. I think I can say that now. The grandfather clause or whatever, you know. And and then I completely missed the announcement that they made that they were going to support SQL Lite because I was so busy, and I just thought that once that happened, it's sort of like a patent search. You know, the sort of use case becomes so narrow that you sort of think it's going to become too. Too um, difficult to sell, um, but um, that's quite cute actually. I should I should um, I should well, open source that. We ran into some of the same issues here. Like part of the IP of the um, company that I'm working for at the moment is uh, we were able to decompile and recompile Swifts um, for version eight and below for the last few years, and um, we've used that specifically in the online advertising industry. So. Um, uh, building tools to manage and build creatives for for use on online advertisements. So um, yeah, we've got an XML language that we use in order to describe the bytecode of what a Swift file actually is, and then to make changes to it. And, and, and is, that, is that SwiftMill or no? It's a the project was called Kinesis. It was put together by a really smart Irish guy, I believe he was um, Alex Bradley. Okay, I'm not sure if you worked with him before, but um, I know he's worked with other people like Ted Patrick, and, and he's, he's he's pretty well known in the on, not that well known actually, but he's known in the community. Um, and yeah, uh, I guess 
that's one thing that the um, that the you know it's it's you can find talented programmers, but to find specialists in in various industries um, that have built domain specific languages and, and and understand an industry inside out, um, yeah, I think that's where a lot of value comes in from developers. Certainly, certainly. I guess that comment didn't lead into anything directly, but uh, oh, no, I, I was I was going to say I'm just gonna, I was just gonna, I, was, I thought I better stop talking because I, uh, I've 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 um, I, I noticed that um, I noticed that I'm talking a lot, so I might I might uh, see what other people were thinking. Yeah, I, I, I tell you, like we've 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 been on a massive hiring plan where we are at the moment, and um, finding people with um, knowledge in the specific industry and. I mean, we, we've got an agile shop here and we try to keep a very flat hierarchy and um, we try to, you know, uh, have people that um, are able to focus focus on any area of the code and be able to pick up any ticket that they wish to work on. Um, it, it, w- what we don't necessarily want, though, is a, is a team full of generalists. We prefer to have um, people who specialize in, in, in various areas and, and, you know, with various areas of our platform here, like specifically with um, reporting and logging and then you've got ad creative and and creative tools and then you've got um, marketplaces and auction technology that we we specialize in as well. Um, You know, domain specific, we've got some people in our our team here that specialize in domain specific languages and um, I guess that the real the real hard effort is to find um, the specialists out there and the people with knowledge in the industry that you're that you're trying to innovate in um, completely. I mean, we we've got some guys that um, one of the interns we just took on recently. I- just finishing off his computer science at New South, but he's uh, he's actually I was what I what actually uh, drew my attention uh, uh, to, to to his CV was that he's a volunteer firefighter, <laughs> and we've been doing and so he's and he's actually been you know writing the laps and stuff to calculate backburn rates and things. Apparently, there's a slide rule for the they use when they're doing burn-offs right. but we actually had some we've, we've been we've been doing some stuff in the sort of emergency services area and when i saw that i thought oh here's someone who really cares yeah, about exactly. this sort of domain and who knows what it's actually like to be out fighting a fire and all of this sort of stuff and and it's having that you know the leg in the leg in a in a real world camp i mean that's that uh, people know i talk a lot about requirements and about the front end of project as well and I really care about that sort of stuff and nothing is as valuable as having a really deep domain knowledge um, because you have to you know put yourself in the customer's shoes as a technologist and then solve problems for them I mean that's incredibly important and too many you know I think most I like to think you know most of our team and I'm I'm sure Jeff's team and and your team too and I mean pretty much everyone here and a lot of people um, you know you really value the people in the team who've got some sort of outside experience, outside development, because mm. it can be very, very helpful. Yeah, and 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 even from a code perspective, for the code to represent like a real life scenario, and um, to to be to to be very descriptive of, of of what it's trying to accomplish, I mean, it's 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 the ultimate goal as a programmer. And you know, Jeff talked about before about elegance in his code, and you know, for somebody to pick it up and to really um, get into it. I, I love the idea of domain-specific languages and um, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see how you're uh, bending CF around. I, I've never seen it done with an XML 
um, based language uh, DSL built on top of an XML based language before. So, I mean, it'd be very interesting. Uh, did I just break the rules then saying CF was an XML based language? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, domain okay. specific languages don't have to fill that sort of role directly, though. I mean, we, to, to take that argument a little bit further, I'd say something like Far Cry is a domain specific language in that we have very specific ways of doing things in Cold Fusion that effectively make the whole framework work. If you look at a, a content type, it's a component which relies heavily on the, extend, the extendability of CF property metadata, for example. You can go in, build a component, just has a bunch of CF property tags, and that, will, that can literally on its own just build an entire application. So that sort of uh, level of abstraction, if you like, is where I would see, you know, it's, it's a domain-specific language specific to building um, content-rich web applications, which a lot of people would turn around and look at, okay, well, it does a very good job at doing CMS-like activities, which I think most, most web applications have a huge degree of content management style um, of, of behavior inside them. So, I, I, I mention that because it's one of the problems that we have getting people into the framework as, a, as something that you might build something in, is this rejection of the fact that you have to do things the Far Cry way. Do you know what I mean? So, you have to build a business object in Far Cry, define its, its CF properties or its metadata in order to build the schema and the model and the database. That, that's the way it is in that framework, whereas a lot of people like to build their let's say, build the tables in their database first and then generate a crap load of code to kind of operate that table. Uh, if that's the way they do things, then it's difficult to get them on board for the framework that we run because it's literally like a software domain language that unless you're prepared to to work within that framework, you're, you're just not going to get anything to work or you're not going to get a great deal of value out of the framework. And that's the problem with many of these things. When you try and build a software domain uh, language, getting people to use it. Um, it's good for people who are, you know, don't have the technical skills of the of the people who could build a software domain language, but um, less good for those people who, who figure that they can always build something from scratch, or harder to convince them. I mean, that was infamous in the Spectra days. I think when infamous I was going around, days, yeah. because there were all of these. That was possibly something that happened to Spectra was that all of these uh, in inverted commas Spectra sites were actually very hacked sort of cold fusion sites that fuse had very box, little to fuse box applications in the middle of a spectra solution. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it was, we, we get it that was, in the Far Cry community still. We get fuse box apps. We get people going, how do I do my cold box app? You're like, it's, it, okay, how do I do my, um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm like, if that's what you're building, build it. And then there's a lot of different hooks for bringing that in, but don't build it within the fra a framework within the framework. It's kind of like a, uh, yeah, anyway, but you do get that a lot. So we get a lot. Just, to, just for those of us, because obviously uh, Robin uh, and Jeff, you guys have been around CF for a very long time. Um, and no, no disparaging comments made about your age there at all. Um, for those of those who don't remember, and I'm sure there's quite a few of them who possibly don't remember what Spectra is. you want to explain that very quickly so people in retrospect can understand? I would love to hear Jeff describe what Spectra is. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spectra was a commercial product that uh, Macromedia introduced to, well, Alaire then Macromedia. In, well, Alaire introduced it. Uh, partners around the world 
you know, leapt on it and essentially, to give you a sense of it, it cost you about $50,000 as a license fee at the turn of the century to implement per server for Spectra. And that compared to equivalent products like, say, Vignette or, or um, oh, ATG Dynamo, all the products at the same time are pretty much dead except for maybe vignettes still limping along with one foot nailed to the floor. You've got um, about a $250,000 per server license. So it was, it's expensive, but actually relatively cheap and sort of just coming into that enterprise space. We invested a whole heap of uh, time, effort as partners, and then eventually Macromedia killed the product, and we then referred to it as the... We set up a website called, what was it, Necromedia, bringing dead software to life. That was the Spectre experience from a commercial level, and I think that tainted a lot of people about the framework. However, from a framework perspective, it was a very interesting and cunning framework for CF, specifically designed for building content management platforms, that uh, was way ahead of its time, and it was very, very clever. So you, you had this sort of language in custom tags that allowed you to do uh, effectively build your own models and everything within the code, and they would be expressed in the database. And you could then build you know whole applications. It was really, truly one of the first commercially supported frameworks for cold fusion in the marketplace. And you have to bear in, in, put it in the context of the time. It was very powerful these days. By comparison. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't wouldn't it wouldn't have any anywhere near the level of uh, power and complexity of say something like Far Cry ten years on. But in those days, it was um, it was a very interesting product, and uh, yeah, I think the commercial side of it really killed it for a lot of people. And also from a technical side, it was only of a generation one product. It did a lot of stuff in XML in the database in order to encapsulate its its data modeling, which was slow. And that also didn't get a lot of, um, you know, wasn't wasn't well received. It Other problems. Sorry, I, I could list the yeah. problems forever, but yeah. you know, that's all right. It was incredibly popular in Australia. Like normally, we only represent two percent of the two, market space, weren't we? Something like that. Yeah, nine to something like nine to twelve percent of all Spectra sales in the world were Australia, and normally we're two percent of the market. So it was huge, largely due to um, the efforts of the guys at Firmware at the time, who were very very good at selling, including Lucas. Uh, Mr. Sherwood, who is oh, yeah. sort of who, who I hold responsible for my my entire Alairstroke Macromedia career for uh, for <laughs> selling Spectre to Chris me. It was Chris Wood, you know. It was Chris Wood. Chris, Chris was very good as well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Chris Wood was the man who was selling the stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, I think for, as a as a support engineer, the things that killed it was it's. I think it's it, they swallowed their own cola a bit too much at the time. The dependence on Verity and Sightminder. Oh, Verity two and Sightminder and a sight yeah. killer we used to call it. <laughs> yeah, sight killer. <laughs> it had its own. It had its own special. Um, we were actually the first people to find the Y two K problem, which actually happened in <laughs> December two thousand, um, which was, was um, because because the the relationship with Sightminder and Alaire had deteriorated so much that. Uh, um, Sightminder decided to not tell Alera about the bug they'd discovered, and um, so and it was brilliant because, like, first of all, all the New Zealand sites went off, then the Sydney sites went off, then the Perth sites, and there was some guy I remember in Alera Consulting who was incredibly up himself, um, who was in charge of the biggest Spectra deployment in the world at a bank in Chicago, and we're saying, don't turn your servers off, don't turn your servers off. It all goes go down. He's saying, oh no, we have a very regular shot of scheduled shutdown program or blah, blah, rolling something. Don't turn them off. And then sure enough, you know, like six hours later, it's, oh my God, the entire thing's falling the pieces. We said, you absolute idiot. <laughs> so anyway, it was very amusing. But um, yeah, it was that. It was that. And I think also, you know, they were trying to, I think the product managers were trying to work out, do we go out into trying to make it a, is it a, is it a whole web framework or, 
or do we concentrate on... Uh, on oh, they, uh, they, they sold an image that it really wasn't. It was a framework. It wasn't a solution, and that's the problem. People installed it, thought it was a solution. It didn't do what they wanted. But that was, that was, that was the market in those days. It really was. I mean, that was the birth of Far Cry, actually, because we had to write something to get out of Spectra. Exactly. And so getting out of Spectra... But that was the birth of Far Cry, which was a commercial product, and then we released it to open source in 2003. Okay. So, you know. <laughs> Sorry, we could <laughs> you, should ha- you should have a special podcast on Spectrum. We'd love it. <laughs> you get all of the 50-year-old uh, <laughs> developers. developers coming in. <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I know very specifically Bjorn really needs to run off to his team. So, Bjorn, very, very quickly, um, thank you very much for or specifically to you in, in this case, and we can say goodbye to everyone else in just a sec, but I know you need to run. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Very quickly, if people want to reach you on Twitter, email, whatever contact details you want to give us, where can they reach you? It's uh, B. Schulteis, so hopefully um, at B. Schulteis. <laughs> we'll link to that in the show notes. <laughs> Uh, show website, yeah. But uh, just to say quickly that I'm very excited about the CF Objective Conference and... Um, in particular, my talk's going to be fantastic. So um, I hope you guys all get along and, um, yeah, can't wait to, to speak to you all there. Look forward to seeing you and Olga, Olga and Olga. And Olga. All right, Thank you very much, Bjorn. No worries, mate. Catch ya. Cheers. Well, I think, I think we'll uh, let everyone get back to work or whatever work is still... Still going on on Friday afternoon. Yeah, it's 4th in the afternoon. I've still got stuff to do. I know that for sure. Oh, I I wanted to say one last thing. Uh See if objective this year should be awesome. We're bringing the whole team. We've actually got seven people coming down. So uh, bring it on. It's going to be excellent. We're looking for more people. If anybody's interested, just put that out there. Um, But uh, great to talk to you all again. So, yeah, you should hear that. If you're looking for a CF job, come to the conference. You can talk to Jeff. Everything should be sorted. I could bring the whole team, except I think I'm flying down with Kai and Sandy in a light plane, so oh, I don't think I'm going to have the room. Dangerous. And with Jeff, I didn't. I didn't, well, I didn't no, want Jeff to fly. is piked out. I, I piked really? out because I said, listen, if there wasn't any risk of ditching in the Tasman while we tried to land in Norfolk Island, I wasn't interested. But we're not crossing the Tasman, dude. We're just flying <laughs> over land. There's I, I know, no danger. That, and you've got I'm, two experienced that, pilots on board. That's my point. There's no danger. So, oh, you know, no rather than waiting an hour Where's to get fun? into the domestic flight, yeah, I'll just get down there. Where's the just fun? get it done. Just get oh. it done. Oh. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. All right, so moving on in alphabetical order, Mr. Bowers, where can people reach you if they want to reach you? Well, you can get me at at Modius, M-O-D-I-U-S, on Twitter. Uh, alternatively, uh, just at the Demon website, demon.com.au. Brilliant. And Robin, where can people reach you? I'm very unimaginative, unimaginative at Robin Hilliard on Twitter or just Robin at rocketboots.com will get me. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us yet again. Well, yet again for Jeff. and coming in and taking your time, yeah. It's much appreciated. I'd like to thank you since this is probably the last time you're letting me appear on 2 dd do Maybe. Maybe not. I can either confirm or deny that statement. Uh-huh. No, that's that. Thank you very much for for taking the time. Um, obviously, CF Objective ANZ coming up in November. So if you want to get on it, get in it now. Um, we're still running our student ticket competition, which closes on the fifteenth of September. So we've still got time to get in some some entries there. If you're a student and you're under twenty five years and uh, you live in Australia, New Zealand, you know. 
get in your uh, get in your competition entry so that you can get a free accommodation, free flights, and free ticket to uh, Australia's premier Australia New Zealand's I would say premier core fusion and flex conference or only core fusion and flex conference. Um, so that's really good. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, please feel free to put comments on our blog at 2ddu.com. We don't seem to get very many of them, and I think we'd love the feedback. Would you agree, Kai? Yeah, I totally think so. And don't forget the competition, right? We need we need to find th- more than three people US-based listening to this and leave a comment, please. There's that too. So yeah, lots of comments. I want to see lots and lots of comments on this one, even if it's just first post, second post, third post. I don't care. I want to see lots of comments. It'll make me feel better. Brilliant. Cool. So guys, thank you once again, and... Uh, We'll speak to you all in November. Uh-huh. See you then. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Cheers.